to Season 2 of Granite State Golfers with Micah. I am an avid amateur golfer in New Hampshire. This podcast dives into the stories of the top amateur golfers in my home state. We are about to tee off. Please join me. Hey everyone, welcome back to Granite State Golfers. For those of us in southern New Hampshire, it looks like the snow is finally gone and ranges and courses are beginning to open. This episode is a bit different than most as I have a really special guest on the show, Chantel McCabe. You likely know her from the Golf Channel or PGA Tour Live. We talk about growing up in New Hampshire, her time at UNH, and her path in journalism. As you will hear from Chantel, there are many parallels between golf in her career journey, and lessons we can all learn and work on. Hard work, grinding, goal setting, persistence, and confidence. Thanks as always for listening and sharing the podcast with your friends. Enjoy the conversation. Hi Chantel, welcome to Granite State Golfers and thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, happy to be here. Always good to uh, talk a little 603. All right, well we're going to start there. So best I can tell, we have at least three things in common. Uh, we grew up in New Hampshire, we both went to UNH, and we both love golf. So we're going to dig into those topics, but let's start with the 603. Uh, where did you grow up in New Hampshire? Where did you go to high school? So I grew up in Candia and uh, still a quaint little spot. Um, I, I usually have to differentiate, especially now as a Florida resident since 2016, uh, when I say Candia, I have to say, I usually just say Manchester, keep it simple. Um, so I did go to Candia schooling um, up until high school, and then I went to Manchester Central, and then obviously UNH from there. But um always have to kind of specify Candia, small little town, uh, and it's not Canada. And <laughs> a little fun fact uh, for the 603 enthusiasts is that now Candia is the only uh, titled town of that in the entire world. There was another um, Candia in Greece that uh, at their centennial, I guess, thousand year anniversary changed the name of their small city to something that reflected uh, whatever was happening uh, for that ceremony. So yeah, we are the only Candia in the world. So wow. we have that to right. uh, call our own. Good trivia. Good trivia. Yeah. Um, when you were growing up uh, in high school, was sports a part of your life? What was what was that like? Yeah, that's what um, makes my story very bizarre. And uh, everyone has a unique journey and story of where they got to how they are. But I never played any sports. And so not just a golf um, reporter and host and play by play announcer now, but uh, also do a lot of lacrosse and used to do hockey. So um, yeah, I remember we couldn't really afford going down to Boston and my parents would gripe about paying for parking, even if we got nosebleed seats for the Bruins or the Red Sox. So I have vivid memories of going to Manchester Monarchs games or Portland Sea Dogs games. And I would always bring a book because I had zero interest of going to any sports event. So uh, yeah, that all changed when I got to college and realized more than anything, a business decision that live sports will always um, be around in some capacity. So I knew that at that point, it's irreplaceable. Um, and certainly there will always 
be work in the field of sports some way, somehow. So that is very random. I, I, I danced and I did, uh, I was part of the Miss New Hampshire scholarship program, which again, I have to specify that's the pageant system, at least at the time that you had to have a talent as part of your score, which was 30%. So it wasn't just walking on stage in heels and a gown. There was uh, a lot more oomph to it. And yeah, that was, those were my versions of sports before I dove right in. And now I I play everything, do everything and uh, married a complete athlete through and through. So uh, they're escaping it now. Fun. Uh, when you were in high school, was journalism in any way, student journalism, part of your high school time? Yeah, I I really, actually, I watched WMUR um, and I, I did, that was a routine I did with my parents, which I think, especially nowadays, and I don't mean to sound like get off my porch as an old lady, but uh, I wonder, you know, the things that are being done in households that will shape a child's future, because that was so influential for me to just be able to watch the news with my parents each night. And, um, you know, a couple of those names that I grew up watching have retired in the last couple of years and were part of the staple of New Hampshire culture for so long. Um, and yeah, I uh, Charlie Sherman, I ended up working with him at NH1 as one of the stops in my career, albeit very brief since NH1 didn't last long, but um, it was a childhood dream come true. I, I didn't necessarily plan on getting into news and certainly not um, sports reporting, but um, I respected and appreciated people who did that and um, ended up doing it myself. So it kind of really freakishly came full circle, uh, co-anchoring with Charlie um, once upon a time, several years back. So you never know how the things that you do seemingly, uh, without consequence, um, could shape an impact. to what happens down the road? Yeah. When you went off to UNH, uh, did you know going to college that you wanted to focus in on journalism and sports journalism? No, I um, I actually went to UNH. Uh, specifically, my first major was athletic directing, which it's called sports studies at UNH. And to back that up further, I went to University of Southern Maine because I was adamant about leaving the state. And uh, I supposedly got caught in a year where I applied into all these different schools, Endicott, Syracuse, uh, and I didn't get in anywhere, even though I had uh, straight A's and uh, my SAT scores, which I'm I'm glad to know those are going away, supposedly, but uh, my SAT scores were so poor, I'm exposing myself here. And so I ended up going to USM, there was um, ongoing enrollment. So I literally flew by the seat of my pants and decided last minute, I'm just going to go there. It's then I transferred to UNH uh, for my sophomore year and went right into the sports management, like I said, sports studies program. And by doing that and doing a lot of the grunt work of the uh, different internships I did, which I did internships at Southern Maine as well, thinking, again, I would probably get into the sports landscape, but um, I wanted to be involved with the hockey atmosphere um, that UNH provides at the WIT and um, knew that they a strong athletics program give me opportunities. And I took every single internship that I could, including with the athletics department, which really was pivotal in my career because I realized, you know, a lot of the things like having to 
uh, fill vending machine orders or log referee hours for <laughs> recreational sports uh, that comes with the territory, unless if you're at, you know, an SEC, ACC school. Um, and I thought, okay, if I'm going to surrender all of my weekends and all of my holidays and summers uh, and not have the flexibility, I want to be doing what I want. And again, with the knowledge kind of the thinking cap, I gratefully had back at that point in my career, okay, what is the best bang for my buck? If I'm going to be doing this, <laughs> I want to get paid well for it. And I, I realized that there were very few jobs that I would get to do what I wanted and um, get paid what I felt like was proper for the job. And so I don't think anyone in athletics uh, at most levels gets enough credit and appreciation for the hours and time that they put in. And my favorite part was putting together the media guide and the game notes. Um, I knew I really had a knack for speaking and being able to interact with people and storytelling. And so I literally took that piece of what I was doing and said, I'm just going to run with it. And like, as you know, there's no formal uh, journalism program at UNH. There's English with the specificity in journalism, and there are very few courses. And uh, that's something I I tried to return later is um, ramp up the journalism classes to reflect um, how modern day consumers, um, how everyone, it's not newspapers anymore that uh, people get their news sources from. And uh, so I took some of the old school uh, learning and trying to morph that into what I could. And my joke was, I'll just run with it for as long as I can, because I'm going up against Syracuse grads and people who graduated from the new house school. And that fraternity is very tight and has a long list of successful journalists. And so I said, I know I'm going to be going up. I mean, I didn't even know the terminology when I entered the business and I would not only have to learn everything uh, from scratch, but I couldn't even speak the language. So yeah, it was, it was funny how I, I somehow gratefully had the wherewithal to fuse those things together and the tools and the pieces that I did have. And uh, Hockey East, for example, and another UNH grad, Pete Soros, uh, was so, so supportive and connections. We all know how important that was. And I'm still riding that wave today, seeing how long I can last in the business of media. <laughs> well, that's that's really good advice for uh, anyone who's maybe listening in in their college years about the kinds of experience you can think about in in internships, how important they can be. So yeah. when you leave, when you leave UNH, uh, what was your first, first job out of college in journalism? Again, it, it, I took a lot of internships. So I was uh, running the ticker and logging all kinds of, um, this was kind of in the age of analog and digital shifting. And so when I graduated, uh, took an extra semester since I changed majors, and I should say added a major because I, I wanted to have uh, kind of a fallback. Uh, with the sports studies. So I didn't want to get rid of that. And so uh, I double majored and graduated December of 2011. Um, at that point, I had interned for Nesson for a few semesters. And so I had gone to Nesson and said, hey, you, I mean, you guys are obviously are partially owned by 
the Red Sox and Bruins, but your website, which, you know, a lot of the internal emails was about building up website traffic at the time, which is so weird to think about like in 2011, what the focus was versus now where everyone's like as much content as you can put out anywhere at any time. Right. But the website was um, a very uh, lucrative opportunity that they saw. So again, my business brain, and I've never taken many business courses, but somehow I realized I need to pitch these different things to them so I can gain experience somehow. So at uh, New England Sports Network, I would drive all the way down, battle the traffic. It was brutal, multiple days a week while attending classes at UNH. And as I mentioned, I would run the ticker and log the, I mean, World Series from like the 1990s and certainly something that did not speak to me, but somebody had to transfer the analog to the digital so that could be found if there's a reference or a record that's about to be broken so that footage could be accessed. So again, I was doing the brunt work and realizing I had to put in my time and work my way up the totem pole while um, continuing to pitch myself. So I said to them, hey, why don't you start covering, and they as in Nesson, I said, why don't you start covering high school football, uh, high school um, hockey? And uh, I went to Hockey East, as I mentioned with Pete Soros, and said, hey, you guys have no content uh, in terms of, it wasn't content at the time, but you had no interviews uh, post-game from any of your Hockey East games. Like, don't you want to promote the league? And so by chipping my way and literally having to learn how to edit on my own because they said, yeah, sure. Okay, go and do it. Um, That's free for us. And this is on you now. So I had to teach myself all of that um, driving on my own dime. And um, I ironically had to pay to be able to have it qualify as a credit so that I could legally do it, which I know, again, I sound like an old lady, that system has changed since. Um, So I'm paying to do the internship, not getting paid for the internship work doing ridiculous hours. Cause again, I wanted to prove myself. So back to your question, you asked me what my first job was and I had built a portfolio enough to send what was a DVD highlight reel to anyone I could. But again, I knew I was going up against a lot of people who even just knew the lingo that I did not know myself. So I went and drove myself with a printed out resume in hand and a DVD copy of my highlight reel. And I use air quotes for that because there weren't many of them. And I drove to every single news station that was within four hours, which in New England, gratefully, was there was a good chunk of them. ABC 40 in Springfield, Massachusetts needed somebody desperately. They had awful turnover. They took me on and that was my first job. One day I would be going to zoning meetings. The next day I would be covering the biggie. The following day I would cover, I'll never forget, a police officer who died on the job. And I was the first on the scene and saw his body, bless his soul. Um, And so learning the hard way. And uh, it was not a sports job out of school, but I needed to get my reps of live TV. And that was my route to do it. Wow. So you, you leave, um, you leave UNH in December of 11. Mm -hmm. uh, And am I right that we're going to sort of jump into, I want to introduce golf here. You do start working with the golf channel in 16. Yeah. So I'll give you the brief run through because I know that we're ta- supposed to be talking about golf in New Hampshire, Granite State. So, uh, yeah, I know. It, it's a weird path that I took to get there. I didn't play golf. I'll be at the small town, as I outlined of Candia, had a freaking golf course. So 
I am still kicking myself to this day that uh, I never even considered looking at candy oats. Never even ate there. Never went to the driving range. Just passed it and rolled my eyes. Like, oh God, golfers. Like, uh, I'm not. I don't want any part of that. The way I came to Golf Channel was I was at ABC 40, and then from there, gratefully through my and I, I want to highlight this for anyone listening through the contacts that I made through all that grunt work at New England Sports Network, and by the way. Uh, with WMUR, uh, Aaron Ward, who played for the Bruins, of course, and for the Hurricanes, told me that they were the Hurricanes were looking for a sideline reporter. So <laughs> nine months into graduation, I had my dream job at the time of covering hockey, and I was in way over my head, again, not knowing the industry very well and uh, taking a pretty big role. So I did that for a few years, went to NHL Network, and I wasn't totally in love with doing that. So actually, this is where NH1 comes in. I went back to New Hampshire, and I still say that is the greatest honor of my life is to be able to sit side by side with Charlie, not just talk news and bring stories to life and cover important things happening in the Granite State, but also uh, I got to cover the Patriots that season and uh, keep my foot in just a little bit with sports. So uh, from there, I, my agent said, why don't you go audition for PGA tour? They were looking for a studio host. And I said, again, no interest in golf. I had kind of played with my dad a little bit. We'd go out, have a beer, have a cigar. And that was the extent of it. I didn't know any terminology, but I wanted to hang out with my dad and that sounds fun. So uh, I ended up going to this audition at PGA tour. And I absolutely just, it was, it was embarrassing. Um, couldn't get through a highlight because I was not comfortable or familiar with golf. And then a couple weeks later, my agent sends me to golf channel and I'm like, well, what is going on? And there was a UNH connection there. Someone in golf, um, and Delta sin who worked for PGA tour had encouraged me like, Hey, just you know, I know we're going to need people. They really want to get more women and in, involved with covering golf. Like, you know, just, just consider it. So again, a UNH connection that was so pivotal in my life, but having said that some way, somehow, uh, I absolutely crushed the golf channel interview. Jason day was the number one player in the world at the time who now, uh, his family is a good friend of mine. And, um, I, I remember that highlight so vividly, uh, coming down and doing it. And I, I said on my way out, I just want to assure you guys, I don't know anything about golf. I don't know what happened in that audition. Like something came over me and made me feel confident, but I want to, if I get this job, I want to be crystal clear. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> and they said, you know what? We have a lot of golf geeks, but we need somebody who has personality, has the knack for reporting and finding information. And that's what we're missing. And that's why we want you. So I moved down to Florida and that was 2016 uh, cover having come from New Hampshire and covering leading up to the 2016 presidential election, as we all know, as proud Granite Staters, which I really hope they never change first in the nation yeah. uh, coming from that sport to this sport was quite uh, the contrast. And what were some of the different roles and where might people have heard or seen you when in your time with the Golf Channel? Yeah. So if you don't know, Golf Channel was started by Arnold Palmer. And uh, unfortunately, after his passing, um, a couple of years later, Golf Channel has since moved up to Connecticut. Um, I decided to freelance after that, but, um, it got my foot in the door and I will never, I will never leave golf now. I love it. I've totally fallen in love. And that was divine intervention, uh, to say the least meeting my husband who was a central Florida native down here. He actually proposed on a golf course down here. So 
we're all in. There is nothing but golf in our bloodstream now. Um, but you asked uh, where people would have seen me. I did morning drive uh, half my time of my five years at Golf Channel, which was the morning show. I think a lot of people, even non-golf people, I I even knew what it yeah. was before I had auditioned because Great it was job. kind of a lighthearted show. Yeah. And Golf Channel, which again, dating myself here, uh, before all of the shifts in cable, uh, what was c- included in most cable packages, everyone had Golf Channel, whether yeah. you were a golf fan or not. So uh, people would stumble upon Golf Channel I did plenty of morning drive, which is brutal waking up at two to be in makeup by three 30 to go on air at seven. And that is not something I miss, but, uh, that it was the most fun I've ever had in my life. I loved that crew. Uh, Charlie Reimer. I just, I love Charlie supposedly. Um, but yeah, Charlie Reimer is one of my favorite people I've ever worked with. Lauren Thompson, Paige McKenzie, uh, Robert Dameron, who's still a dear friend to this day. Um, I did a lot of that. I also, I was hired to do the night show, which is golf central, the sports center version for golf. And so it would be a highlight show, a little more buttoned up and formal, you know, serious interviews. And, uh, I also did shot makers, which was a reality show. I hosted that. Um, and I did everything from covering NCAAs to Epson tour the next week to the PGA tour the following week to remember world long drive. So every single week, whatever they gave me, I would do. And I was honored to do it because again, I was the fish out of water, the only person, uh, that walked through that door that was a high handicap. So I was grateful to do anything. And, uh, I really do think because I wasn't just covering the top tier on the men's side that I, I really fell in love. I mean, there is something such a special bond, as you know, Micah, with any golfer and people will talk about other sports, you know, growing up playing baseball, you know, guys will say, Oh yeah, you know, remember these uniforms or there, there's a bond there of, uh, playing the game, but golf is just across every generation across every continent. And it is to me like the universal language. Yeah. So let's dig on that a little bit. One of the, one of the questions I'm asking folks on the show is that golf has this extremely, strong uh, draw and like once it gets you, it gets you and it usually gets you for life. Um, And so you, and you've mentioned that, you know, you're all in on golf and this is, it is golf is clearly a huge part of your life. So for you, what is it about golf Uh, in covering a golf? And now you will get into your own game a little bit, but what is it about golf for you that once you got the bug, like you, 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 you're going to have it forever. And what is it about the game? Well, I think it starts, I was, I would snowboard, hike, um, surf with my dad. Uh, so again, I said, I didn't play, grow up playing any sports. Now I, I do a lot of different things, but, um, I really loved spending time with my dad and there's nothing like, I mean, it's, it can be so diverse. Like if you go and play a pickup game of hoops, I mean, you're doing that for, you know, whatever your stamina can stand. Um, and with golf, I mean, my husband always says, he didn't start playing until he met me, but he says, I mean, is there anything better than going to beautiful places and being outside for four hours? Um, so he says a little bit better than me, but, um, I know he appreciates that because he probably wishes he plays a little better. So he's, he's focusing on different things, but I appreciate it because I can play. I mean, we got my mom playing and she didn't do any of the other activities, but it's something that's not 
too physical. At least you can, again, treat it as versatile as you want. You can go and do golf specific workouts and train and be as competitive as you want, whether that be at your club championship or state championship, uh, U.S. amateur. You can do whatever you want with that. I went out with four girlfriends on Friday and we don't keep score. We just have fun. I play match play with my husband. When I play with people from work, there's definitely $20 bills that go missing from my wallet. But uh, so that's what I love is that there's no, nothing else I can think of that it it is as casual or as serious as you want. Add some cocktails. I mean, anyone who I've introduced is like, Oh my God, if I knew it was like this, like the, the perception, which I, I admittedly had too, was that this is serious. It's for one kind of people. There's only one way to do it. You, you know, and what a misconception, which is what people have discovered in 2020 and has absolutely exploded the sport wide open. But yeah. Um, yeah. And now, now it becomes a bucket list. Like, to go to different countries. We went on our honeymoon a little delayed because of COVID. We went to Portugal and we played on these ancient grounds with monasteries that were around us that we played over to get to the green. And it's like, they're not doing that in basketball, football. It's it's just, there's so many aspects of it that you just appreciate over time. And, you know, talking with your buddies, like, oh, what, what did you hit at St. Andrews? You know, there it just will last over time, which is really, really cool. Well, until we roll the ball back. So that's just another, we'll, we'll stay away from that in the next uh, little chapter. No no shortage of opinions, but that, that, that could, we could lose some listeners here if we go into that one. Right. Um, So uh, you're mentioned freelance. So where can people hear you now and what are, how are you involved in covering golf this year? Yeah, I, uh, it's a loaded answer. Um, so I have a weekly show called All Square. Again, the USG is going to come after me um, because that's outdated terminology. But All Square, which we cover, again, every aspect of the game, whether that be uh, PGA Tour, LPGA Tour, amateur golf. And so uh, we try to do our due diligence of getting the whole landscape instead of just what people tend to focus on in a lot of talk shows. And um, so I, I've got that going. I do a lot of the post game for Sirius XM. And by the way, it's channel 92, uh, totally worth a subscription. You can probably get on the phone and haggle them down to five bucks a month. Uh, <laughs> I didn't say that, but, um, so that, that's a, a good bit of my work. I went to the masters for the first, first time last year. Um, I covered it through Sirius XM. Uh, another chunk of my work is PJ tour live where I do play by play again, totally foreign to anything I had ever done going from reporting and trying to fine tune my language and questions to what would fill two minutes um, and getting very specific things out of players to then having to talk for, I kid you not, 12 hours a day for four days in a row. So um, that now is a, a big part of my work. I'm getting more comfortable, more used to the total flip of the switch of what's required. Um, And I also do um, some work covering lacrosse for ESPN. So uh, you can find me there. I know that's not golf, but uh, the long answer is a little bit of everything everywhere Um, and grateful for it. I'd love to ask a little bit about the PGA Tour Live and the play-by-play, which I listen to. So what would, for people who listen to that, what on your end are maybe some challenges or things that are taking place in doing it from your seat and your colleague's seat that maybe listeners don't appreciate as we are listening to the product? Yeah, I want to differentiate. So PG Tour Radio is separate from PG Tour Live, which is the streaming. And it, I, I believe the whole point of 
creating this was number one, uh, network coverage only covers a fragment of what happens throughout a tournament. So, uh, you know, you turn on NBC or CBS on a Sunday and you're seeing a few hours of what is usually the leaders playing the back nine. And so what about the rest of the day? Like, what about the guy who shot the course record or what about the guy who moved up, you know, 20 spots because he shot a 62. So, um, to capture those moments, you don't know where they're coming. And that's kind of the weird part of covering golf is that there's things happening all over the course, which we are very lucky now in this era of technology to have shot link, which captures at least the data. So we can't see everything at once. It's impossible. But um, what PGA Tour Live does is from Thursday through Sunday, they're on air from the first tee shot until whatever they decide is the last group to cover. So there are four streams. Uh, the main feed will dip into the other three. And there is, I know it's like, you're going to need like a whole family tree to kind of put this all together and connect the dots, but it's a lot simpler than I'm, I'm making it sound just yep. because this concept doesn't exist in other sports. Um, right. Like red zone, it, I guess is the closest similarity to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I do uh, usually the main feed or the feature group or marquee group and the final uh, stream you can watch is a feature featured holes, which they obviously park it on um, the same spots. And, you know, typically where uh, even whether there be high birdie holes or high yield birdie holes or par threes waiting for an ace. I mean, you're literally sitting there all day hoping somebody we've had a, an unusual amount of aces this year, by the way. Um, so to answer your question of, you know, the challenges that come there, uh, unlike network TV, where you're seeing three hours and you're bopping around. So the blessing is the time goes fast and you're filling storylines. Well, I've been tasked to follow a group from start to finish in their round and everyone's playing poorly and you have to, it's not fun. It's not fun to watch. I mean, think about it. If the Patriots are losing by a significant margin, it's just the life gets sucked out of not just the team, the broadcast, the viewership. So it's a domino effect. And uh, to be able to last four and a half, usually five hours of trying to figure out new ways. And the other thing is, let's face it, it's PGA Tour. So you don't want to be too critical because this is the league paid service to cover. Um, and so th- I would say that's by far the most yeah. difficult part. And you you don't know what you're going to get. And sometimes a guy will shoot. And you saw it uh, the other day in the Corn Ferry Tour, open with a 75 and shoot a 64 the next day, an 11 stroke swing. You don't know when those bad rounds are going to happen. You don't know when those unbelievable rounds are going to happen. And certainly when players are playing well, the feel, the conversation, everything just moves differently. It's it's easier for broadcasters to mesh together. Uh, and I would say the other thing is covering golf. Again, you're stretching out land, property. I think I was covering Pebble Beach, doing play-by-play for that. That's three golf courses. So technology isn't foolproof. And so especially with golf, uh, I rightfully understand why people aren't very patient when it comes to some technological glitches, but uh, think about a beasts of properties that you have to navigate people all over. It, it is, it blows my mind that we do this every single week because this is, it's like NFL times 10 uh, yeah. in terms of coverage. Now, yeah, good perspective. Since you've been off, is there a particular tournament or course that you really love covering? 
I mean, obviously last year, I mean, I cried when I, I got on to property at Augusta and it was your first time being there. It was my first time ever being there, ever covering it. And, uh, a lot of people will have gripes about no cell phones and how old school they are, but there's no place in the world that continues to hold a legacy that way. So I really hope, I know that they're, you know, having to shift and adapt to, you know, modern trends and uh, technology and keeping up with uh, just the necessities of what our culture requires. But um, it is, I mean, you're literally are forced to talk to the person beside you because you don't have your cell phone out. And it, it is until you go there and experience it, you will never, ever even come close to appreciating it. So just to be at a place that um, holds so much history, at least in the United States, I have yet to cover an open championship. I haven't been to St. Andrews, but I'm sure it would be a lot of those nostalgic feelings um, coming to life internally. But uh, nothing will top that. That was just really, really special and, uh, certainly gave me all, all of the feels as the kids say. Um, but you know, I would say the, the favorite tournament itself that I've covered, um, I got the honor of covering a Solheim cup in Des Moines and, um, I've gotten to cover the Ryder Cup at Whistling Straits as well. But if people have not watched women's golf and I'm not sitting here saying there needs to be completely equal purses and trying to tell people how business should be run. But if you get the opportunity to watch the LPGA, I mean, it's like Nellie Corda said, as she was playing alongside the guys in the QB shootout in the PNC championship, like there, you know, she made the comment, Oh yeah. Jordan Spieth was complimenting your swing. And she's like, yeah, I'm a professional golfer. Like he better appreciate my swing. Like I do this for a living. I'm a number one player in the world. Like, thanks for the compliment, but guess what? There's a lot more like me if you're paying attention. And so just to be a part of, I know that they, the women really, I mean, I've become close friends with a lot of LPGA players and I mean, they just wow me. I'm like, you guys are athletes and you'll never get the respect that you deserve. Um, and listen, what Scotty Scheffler can do, what John Rahm can do, what Rory McIlroy can do is a different skill set than the women. But what they have got going on with their hybrids to drop it to 10 feet every time. It yeah. is, I mean, especially amateur golfers can appreciate that because we can't hit it 320. Right. It's just, it's an, it's an honor to be able to cover these women who continue to do what they're doing despite the challenges and more than anything, the purse difference, like throw that aside, but what they have for travel and they don't have the private jets, it is a wear and tear on the body. And yes, they are professional athletes and they get paid more than the average person, but uh, to choose to do that when you have a lot of setbacks to me, like I said, it's just an honor to cover the women's game and to be at the Solheim cup uh, when the U S won that year, gratefully uh, because uh, the European Solheim cup crew, similar to the Ryder cup, they uh, certainly have no problem meshing as a team. But uh, that, that to me was really, really cool and something I'll cherish forever. Oh, neat. Well, let's talk briefly about your own game. How, how often do you get to play? Uh, How you mentioned you, you know, play with your husband and group of friends. How, how serious do you take your own game? So the best thing that I have ever heard is if you are a golf media member, don't expect to be a good golfer. And that's because, I mean, when everybody else is playing, we're on the road constantly. And uh, unlike 
you know, having a true off season, you know, a lot of baseball players, I mean, the Braves famously uh, have just epic stories. I mean, even throughout the world series of uh, fitting in some time to play golf, John Smoltz, obviously one of the best celebrity amateur golfers there is. So, um, you know, there's really no off season in golf and even December, it gets pretty bitter cold here and the courses aren't in the best condition in Florida at that time. So, it's, it kind of depends on the time of year. So right now, I mean, I've played every single week since the beginning of the year or since the first week of the year, but, uh, as soon as, I mean, masters hits, I will not find a golf course probably more than twice until uh, the end of September. So, um, and that's just the nature of uh, also me covering two sports within the same season time frame. So yeah, it, it's a, again, a loaded answer to your question of uh, totally dependent and like everybody else. I mean, the, the cool part and people always say, Oh, would you ever, I, yesterday I was at, asked, would you ever move back to New Hampshire? I'm like, yeah, I would absolutely move back to New Hampshire, but I would be coming down to Florida in the winter to play golf because I couldn't be away from it that long. <laughs> that is the tough part. And we're finally seeing snow banks melt and courses and ranges are beginning to open up here after what looked like was going to, well, was a mild winter until like the third week of February and winter decided to show up in March. And then you guys got blasted. My mom's sending me photos one after another, after another. I'm like, this cannot be like this uh, uh, multiple storms. You've got to be sending me the same picture from the same <laughs> storm. And she's like, no, this is just, it's all condensed in a small time frame. Yeah. Yeah. But it's all melting and we'll be playing soon enough. Yes. Well, thank you, Chantel. It was really great to talk with you. I appreciate you coming on the show and best wishes for a fun uh, season. And we'll be listening for you out there. everyone. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Granite State Golfers is produced by Dew Sweeper Productions. If you enjoy the show, please leave a review and share it with your friends. Until next time, tee it up, have fun, and LGLG. LG.